Why does God bring a person from England to say something to somebody in Texas? Yeah. The Bible says this, for a bird of prey and for a far, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. And the kingdom of God exists not just in America, not just in England, but all over the world. And God does not see nations within the kingdom. He sees the kingdom. And it doesn't matter what your accent is, the kingdom is the kingdom. And if God wants to put somebody on a plane and push them across the other side, because they have a specific message that He has birthed in them for the kingdom, it could be that somebody over the other side needs to hear that message. He gave me a word from Ezekiel, simply said that you're to take the seed of your land and you are to plant it in a land of merchants and a city of traders. And it shall grow up like a vine and bear forth fruit. Now you know that is the purpose of God and who knows what he's going to do with you. Amen? That's exciting. I've got a word from Ezekiel, Ezekiel Exodus and chapter 3. and I believe that it's relevant for this fellowship. I haven't been here before and I just asked God what he wanted me to speak on and you will see why in a minute that it's very relevant for this fellowship. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire and from within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. But I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now just a thought before we get into the message is quite simply, when God sees His people crying, He wants to come and minister to them. But what did He do? He called a man to do it. And as our people, and we have seen them in Dallas, crying, and we don't just want to be people filled with words. We want to be people filled with answers. That we can bring people out of bondage into light. And that's a very, very important thing. That it's not just a singing church, a worshipping church. It's a ministering church. Because our worship brings us into a, a revelation of God. And God's power flows through us then to minister. And we always want to be open to what He is saying to minister to people. Praise God. But Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to fair Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Praise God. Father, I pray that your word will have the effect that you want it to have tonight. I pray that you will speak specifically into the hearts of your people, for your word is able to deliver, your word is able to captivate, your word is able to do anything that you want it to. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would do that, which you, you, Holy Spirit, to come and to minister the way that you want to, in Jesus' name. Something very, very tremendous happened here that the church has missed. The church has got filled with schemes and plans and it can tell you how to grow a church and how to do this and how to do that. But something has gone missing in the church and it is the fire of God. Quite simply, what happened is the fire of God came into a place in the backside or the far side of the desert, the most unlikely place. A place where you wouldn't expect it to happen. But it's the places where you don't expect it to happen that it does happen. Having read up and studied on revivals, they very rarely start in the big city churches in the middle. They normally start in stables, in villages, in farmhouses, in the outbacks of nowhere. Because God has ability of causing things that seem impossible to become possible. They said of Jesus, can any good come out of Nazareth? Well, yes it could. I often say in our hometown, which is an old coal mining town back in England, just outside Nottingham, they say, can any good come of Ilkeston? Because if you looked at the place, it's awful. But yes, it could. And you know, I did not know where you were situated. I didn't know your size or anything. But when I walked in here, I knew that the word of the Lord was that he wanted to send a fire here. Oh, a place that nobody knows about or talks about, but the moment the fire comes, they start to look at it. And you know, you need to study revival. You need to study what God does in the church. You'll find that the stable that Jesus was born in wasn't the only time God moved in a stable. In 1906 to 1909, it was a stable in Azusa Street that God poured out His Holy Spirit. If you came over to England and to Wales in 1904... It was in a small village that God poured out His Spirit and turned a hundred thousand people to the Lord. And the judges had nobody to judge. All the bars shut down because God visited them. In 1952, in the Hebride Islands of Scotland, God did the same again. They had a prayer meeting, two old ladies. And God said, call for Duncan Campbell. They sent for Duncan Campbell, they had a prayer meeting till 4 o'clock in the morning and as they came out of that prayer meeting, people were running out of their homes and asking God to save them. They came from all over the islands to get born again. Why? Because the fire of God was burning in the far side of the desert. Now you know it's always in those places the most and what a tremendous effect it had. Here was Moses who walked in the desert. Here was a man who lived in the desert. He had seen bushes before. He'd seen burning bushes before. But what he hadn't seen was a burning bush that didn't stop burning and didn't burn out. And people in Dallas have seen churches before. 
They've seen thousands of them. They've got big ones, little ones, in-between ones, house ones. They've got them everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there's a, there's a church. Now, where we come from, you've got pubs or bars everywhere. And a few churches. Normally, there's a church at the top of the hill and a couple more hidden round. Most of them for markets. But in Dallas, you can have Church of the Nazarene, Church of Christ, Church of God, Pentecostal Church and Baptist Church all together. So people have seen plenty of churches. They've seen bushes everywhere. And sometimes, sometimes, only sometimes, they've seen bushes alight. Sometimes the church becomes a fire. And normally people come running to it. But normally, because of men being as they are, the church goes out again. Because they try and organize the power of God and try and organize what the Holy Spirit is doing and so he goes somewhere else. Because he's not going to be organized by us. He's supposed to be organizing us. But we get it all sort of bound up, you know. And you were quoting some of the old time meetings where we have fun with them, don't we? We used to come and have a couple of choruses and a hymn, a prayer, a hymn, a testimony, a hymn, a preach, a hymn, a go home. <laughs> Now the Holy Spirit was allowed to turn up in the 20 minutes of gospel preaching. And you know, everything else was organized. We had our piece of paper. This is how it goes, Lord. Now, if you could just pop in while we preach the gospel. <laughs> just come in while we make the appeal and uh, save a few folks and we'll have a quick rejoice about it and you can come back next week. Amen. <laughs> but that is how the church has got. We got so organized in our meetings, poor Holy Spirit. I wonder sometimes what he does to get us to move. And I can sure sometimes he whispers to the leader of me, do you think you could sing songs? Like, no, it's not in the program. <laughs> We've been told in some churches that the, the, the organizers of the meetings, they have, to, they have to know exactly what's happening. So the person leading the meeting has to write a week before what he's going to sing to the piano player. So the piano player can get all the orchestra ready to play it. Oh, poor Holy Spirit. What happens if he wants to do something else in the middle of it? And the piano player hasn't practiced it. <laughs> but you see, that's what happens. God sets the church alight, and then we organize. Say, hold on, God, let's just get a few things right here. Put this here and that here, and organize the body. Now come back again. It's too late. And so everybody in Dallas, they've seen a few bushes, and occasionally they see a burning one. But never do they ever see one that keeps on burning and burning and burning and burning. And here was a man who was used to the desert, who'd seen bushes and burning bushes, but never had he seen a bush like this bush. This bush kept on burning, but didn't go out. And God is wanting to visit his church and this church, so that it doesn't just have a quick flicker. It doesn't just have a little bit of a burn on a Sunday night, but it gets set alight by the power of God and it keeps on burning and burning and burning. And you better keep the doors open. And you better stop organizing because when he starts burning, it will start burning. Hallelujah. Now the thing about this burning was that it burnt the bush, but it didn't burn the bush. The bush was burning, but it wasn't burning. Now, you know, it's been an actual fact that when God has visited some fellowships, they have actually seen the fire. There was one church in England where they sent for the, the fire brigade because people round about saw fire coming out of the windows. 
And what happened is when the fire brigade came, they found that it wasn't the fire of man, it was the fire of God. Oh dear, it's exciting, isn't it? You see, it's in the Bible, but we get all bound up. God, actual fire being seen, why not? I know somebody who's seen fire, the fire of God come. See, God is a God of the miraculous. He's a God of fire. He's a God of glory. But the amazing thing that he didn't burn the bush up. You see, the fire of God comes and it burns up sacrifice. And the thing is that when God finds a fellowship and finds a people who are prepared to let go and give all, he'll come and burn up the sacrifice. And I'll tell you something else he'll do. He'll come and burn up the sinners. They will get right with him in a moment of time. We've heard testimonies recently of churches where people have only walked through the door. Nobody got to preach or anything. They were just standing, worshipping God. And as they walked through the door, the power of God hit them. They fell on their face on the floor and they were born again. Nobody said anything. But the power and the fire of God was burning. And when the fire of God is burning, no sin can stand. It needs to run. And it needs to run fast. Hallelujah. The purpose of this bush, the purpose of this bush was to attract one person. It was to attract a man that God had called. But when this man saw the bush, and he came and he looked, it changed his life radically. And you know the purpose of God setting this fellowship of fire is for people to see the fire. And when they come and look at the fire, it will revolutionize their whole life from that moment on. The trouble is, the trouble is, the church isn't on fire. I reckon that we've got a couple of little flames about that high every now and then. And one or two churches might jump up every now and then a little bit higher. And so most of us, when we come to the Lord, even though we think it's radical, it's not like what God wants to do. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, there wasn't persuading. They got born again on the spot and it says that they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread every single day of their lives. They didn't debate how much it would cost them. They got born again. They got converted. They got changed. Now, you know, it's almost as though we're trying to persuade them into the kingdom now. They, you know, come on, put, put your hand up now. Just as you were saying, play the music. Brother. Now, let's get real emotional. Let's touch the hearts. Now, I could preach to you an emotional sermon that I know would make you cry. I know that. But that isn't going to get you born again. That's going to make you cry. And I can get people to run to the front of a meeting anytime. Just got to say the right words. Threaten them a bit. <laughs> Give them a little bit of hellfire. They'll come running to it. That doesn't make them born again. The power of God makes somebody born again. The fire of God does it. And you know, we've got too many Christians who have got half converted. They've sort of got pulled in. And they spend years trying to get right with God. But we want the power of God to come and revolutionize people and change them on the, in the, an instant. Do you believe that's possible? Hallelujah, we're on the same boat anyway, that's good. Now God is wanting to be able to speak into the church. He's not just wanting to preach sermons, he wants to speak. And he spoke from a bush. 
Now, if he can speak from a bush and he can speak from a donkey, he can speak from me. And he can speak from you. You see, he wants to speak. And if only he could catch a few bushes on fire and attract a little bit of attention, he'd do some talking. And the first thing he would say is he would call people to himself. Oh, how I'm looking forward to the day, and I'm sure you are, where we don't have to work out clever sermons to get people born again. He will do it. And one of the most thrilling things I ever saw is when I preached on tithing and somebody came forward to the Lord. What difference does it make what you preach on? The Holy Ghost saves souls. And you know, if you say to them afterwards, what was it I preached that, you, that converted you? They can't even remember what you said. They can't remember anything. All they know is that God got hold of them. Hallelujah. And he wants to speak, but he can only speak from a burning bush. He can only speak when he's drawing attention to himself. He wants to speak to show us where we really stand. And I want to tell you that when the power of God flows into a fellowship, you know where you stand. And you find you don't stand where you think you stand. Moses found he was standing on holy ground. Moses found that he was basically a sinner. And you know, even the best of the saints, when the fire of God starts to burn, find things about themselves was testifying last week in San Antonio about a church in New Zealand. And uh, God called a young man into the ministry who didn't want to be there. He wanted to be a missionary. And the pastor had retired and said, you take it. He said, I don't want it. You take it. He said, I'll only take it until they get another man. And so he said, I don't want it anyway, and I'm not having it the way it is. It's boring. And so every day he would come in, and he would get behind the pulpit for four hours. Every day, seeking God for four hours. He prayed like that for a whole year, four hours every day. He said, God, nothing's happening. Well, something's happening for you to be able to pray for four hours every day. But then God suddenly started to show him something. He showed him a screwdriver he'd borrowed that he'd never given back. He showed him something he'd said to somebody he'd not put right. And bit by bit, as he kept praying, God cleaned him up. Then suddenly they were one day standing in the church and still praying. Everybody's getting mad at him now. He hadn't been visiting, hadn't been doing anything that he should be doing, but praying. And you know, we don't always want people to pray. We want people to fuss us. And so he's standing in the pulpit one Sunday morning, just a normal service. And suddenly God, as clear as this, gave him a picture. And in the picture he saw... A woman who was sitting at the back, walking into the supermarket, picking something up and putting it in her own bag and walking out with it. He thought, Lord, no. So he said, there is somebody in here, I know who you are, this is what you did, this is what you put in your bag, and you need to repent. The power of God came through the church and hit the woman. She fell off the chair onto the floor, repented. God went through that fellowship like fire. Not one person walked through the door unless they were right with God. But I want to tell you that that church, and we're talking about in, in a land where there weren't big churches, that church went from a handful of people to a thousand in a year. It just exploded. And they only had a building to seat 160. The power of God did it. The fire of God did it. He started to show people where they were. And you know, that's what he will do. 
And then we read of Moses that he wanted to show Moses his ministry. He wanted to call him out to fulfill his purposes. Now, you have a purpose in the church of Jesus Christ. And we need the fire of God to burn to realize that there is not such a thing as a him and a them. In fact, actually, even the title pastor I have a problem with. Because the Bible says that we should not call anybody master, we should not call anybody father, we should not call anybody teacher. I am Dennis. Now you never read that Paul the Apostle said, the Apostle, Paul. He always said, Paul, an Apostle. He did not set himself up above anybody. He had a ministry gift. And our brother has a ministry gift, and Ron has a ministry gift, and so does Anna. But that is their gift. What about your gift? You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are members of God and members in particular. Every one of us has a gift. It tells us in Ephesians 4 that God builds the body up as every part does its work. And the thing that's gone wrong, particularly in America, is that we have a him and a them. And they've got the idea that the man at the front is the powerhouse. All that's happened is that the man at the front has become an idol. And he cannot have all the gifts embodied in his life. He's under tension, he's under threat, his wife's having a nervous breakdown, his children are leaving him. You don't know, that's what happens. And suddenly the God of wisdom has revealed to the church it isn't this way it never was this way this is the way you are all members in particular some have ministry gifts and they work through their gifts others and it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 some of the gifts it talks about apostles and prophets it talks about pastors but it talks about those who give messages in tongues as a gift it talks about those who prophesy as a gift and then it talks about governments aids and help the person that stands on the door is a gift. They're as big a gift for the church as anybody is. But we get this idea, I'm only a doorman. Well, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And whatever the gift is, it is a gift to the body of Jesus Christ. And every one of you, and it's good to start where we are here. Everyone finding out from God, praying and seeking God as the fire starts to come, what do you want me to do? And then functioning in that which you are called to do, so that when others come, they function. And here is an interesting thought, that you always reproduce yourself. Therefore, if you've got a one-man band ministry, he does it all, all he'll ever do is reproduce one-man band ministries. But if you have a whole fellowship flowing in that which God has for it, you will reproduce and reproduce and reproduce yourself. Hallelujah. That's what God wants to say. Glory to God. God wants to speak and to raise up gifts in the church. Then God, as I just said a minute ago, wants to have a very holy church. He wants the church to be a place where he doesn't mind coming in. Now the reason there's no fire is that God is offended most of the time. He is offended by what he sees in the church. It tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can vex the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit. And when God comes into these massive money-making organizations, do you think that he is happy about that? 
If God wants to bless the church financially, do you not think he can do it without schemes? You know, we have in Bristol in England a place where a man called George Muller lived. I don't know if you've heard of him. But George Muller was raised up by God to, to build orphan homes. They're still there in Bristol. And he never sent out one begging letter. He never asked for one penny. He just, with other people, started to pray. They saw some of the greatest miracles that you can believe on. And in those days, in those days, when we're talking about money being, I don't know, even a fiftieth or a hundredth of what it's worth today, God sent them over a million pounds in those days, back last century. There were times when they had no breakfast on the table for the orphans and they stood and they prayed. And suddenly there's a knock on the door and there's a, there's a baker there. And what's happened is his horse and cart and the, and the wheel has come off the cart and it's broken down. He says, I can't deliver. Do you want the bread? That is God. That's doing it God's way. That's not schemes and ideas of man. And that's the Holy Ghost able to raise it up and build it. And the buildings are still there to be seen today. But you see, he wants it holy. He wants it a place where he can sit down. You know, I often think that all the Holy Spirit can do in some of our churches is just come through and touch somebody because he can't sit down in it. It's so dirty. It's so filthy. It's so unrighteous. And you know, when that fire starts to burn, he'll burn the church right. I don't know if any of you ever, ever read the Indonesian Revival. But in the Indonesian revival, one Thursday night, literally like the Acts of the Apostles in the, in the 60s, the power of God burned into the place. They heard the wind, they saw the flames, and a traditional, and I don't know whether it was a Brethren or a Baptist church, got turned upside down and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God started to work. And people were getting convicted of their lives. And there was one particular person, this is a truth in the church, and God spoke to them about some of the hard liquor they were storing in their home. And they wouldn't listen, so then God raised up somebody in the church who had a word of knowledge. They walked across and said, I've got to tell you this, God says that he wants you to get rid of that liquor. I don't have any. Somebody else came and said, God has told me that if you don't get rid of that liquor in ten days, he is going to deal with you. I don't have any. Well, I tell you, when ten days were up, they literally counted the seconds. He denied it to the last second and God struck him dead. That is what happens when God starts to move. It happened in the Acts of the Apostles. We all pray, God, give us another Pentecost. Well, look out. Because another Pentecost is Ananias and Sapphira. And God is going to do it again. Because he said that the harvest is at the end of this age and I am going to burn in the church again. And he's starting to get ready. He's looking for some bushes to set a light. And when they get lit, they are going to light right across. One is going to join another and there's going to be a bushfire like you've never seen in all of your life. But it's going to come out of the Holy Spirit and holiness in the church. That's not popular, is it? That's not popular to talk in churches today about being holy and being pure and being clean. But I tell you something, that is the word of Jesus for the church today. When the fire of God comes, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Moses is having an argument with God. I, you know, I don't know if any of you are like Moses, but I can be. I, I sometimes disagree with him. I always find out I'm wrong, but I try it out. 
And, uh, you know, let's be honest with God. Let's not put on this pious, oh Lord, you know. Let's get rid of that. Let's be us. Because God saved you because you're you. And he's dealing with you. And here's Moses and he's saying, God, I can't go. God, it's impossible. I can't speak. I'm a nobody. I can't do it. And God says, what's in your hand? That he said, well, it's a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses leapt back, and God said, pick it up by its tail. He picked it up by its tail, it became a staff again. In other words, what God does is that when he moves, he picks up the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Moses, who said, I can't speak, I'm a nobody, I can't do it, was turned from a coward into a bold, authoritative man. Why? Because the power of God. We have Peter, who ran away when Jesus was arrested after the day of Pentecost, standing up and saying... We are not drunk as ye suppose, but this is that which the Holy Ghost promised in the prophet Joel. What happened to him? The fire of God happened to him. And you know, I think that God often says, when the fire of God comes, what's in your hand? And you know, when he gets what's in your hand, he can do something with it. When the fire of God comes. And you might say, but I'm a nobody, I can't preach like him, I can't do any... I tell you something you don't need to be able to preach on divine... But until the age of 57... He had the most awful stutter. And when he used to get up to try and preach or testify, he just went... But he'd cry, and people would get saved. Anyway, he heard about this funny thing that was going on, people speaking in tongues in the vicinity. So he thought, I'm going to go up and see if this thing's real. Now, he's a Salvation Army man. And uh, to this day, they're against speaking in tongues. And so he goes to find out what this is about. And he baptizes Smith Wigglesworth at the age of 57 in the Holy Ghost. He is an ignorant man. If you read his writings, he's not the most intelligent man on the earth. And he's got a stutter. But God fills him with the Holy Ghost. He comes back and he tells his wife, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. She says, get up there and preach there. He gets up and he's lost his stutter. The power of God. And that man was so mightily used, he raised the dead. He saw some of the most incredible healings. In one place when he was in Europe, God said to him, Ask me and I'll give you the whole congregation. 2,500. Lord, I ask, and as he made the appeal, 2,500 came to know Jesus. What happened? God got hold of an ordinary person and he burned his fire in them. And he changed them. Then that's a sovereign act of grace. It wasn't because he was better than anybody else. It wasn't because he was a goody-goody. It was because he wanted God. And God did it with him. Hallelujah. He takes the ordinary thing and he makes it supernatural. And fancy standing there talking to God face to face. How would you like that? Well, I tell you, when the Spirit of God is moving in power, you think that you're talking face to face. You'll hear his voice, you'll know his direction, and you'll know you've met with God. But the interesting thing that I want to bring out is what type of bush he used. You see, for God to set a bush alight, it had to be a certain type of bush. The first type of bush it had to be was an available bush. Now, I've never seen any bushes walking. But I've known what was coming, it might have tried. But you know, I am sure that God can't visit some of us because we are so unavailable. 
We are so busy doing our thing. We are so busy in some of our churches making our schemes that he couldn't visit us if he wanted to. We are so busy in our lives. We are so unavailable. I was down in San Antonio and they had some 700 on, or to 800 on the Sunday morning. And I preached a, a message on restoration. I said, now stand up everybody who committed to this. They all stood up. But Sunday night, instead of them all turning up, 400 turned up. Monday night, 100 turned up. Tuesday night, 150 turned up. And Wednesday night, because it was a regular meeting, 250 turned up. But was committed to it. Uh, they weren't available. And you see, we're so easy to make our rash statements. You see, it's, it's in to be in church on a Sunday. It's quite popular. But, you know, I, I've got to play racquetball tomorrow. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got this committee to go to. And the rest of it, I'm not available. And I wonder if God sends his power through this church now. Bang! And it turns you upside down. I don't know any of you. And he turns you upside down. And then I wonder what you'd do tomorrow. What would you do with the things that you were going to do? What would you do with your time? You see, he can't find many available people. He says this in the word, I looked for a man to stand in the gap and I didn't find anyone. What an awful statement. Do you know why there's no burning bushes? He can't find any available ones. One of the greatest miracles we find in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is walking along the shore and the crowds are pressing in. And as the crowds press in, Peter and some of the others have got boats there. And he says to Peter, can I use your boat? And will you push out a little bit from shore? And he said, of course I will. And out they went. There was an available boat. Jesus wanted somewhere from which he could minister. There was an available boat. The great miracle came later. After Jesus had ministered from the boat, he then brought a revival into the boat. Such a big revival that they brought another boat along and both of them began to sink. They found some fish. What a fish. They are people. Hallelujah. You see, where is the availability of us? Could God say, brother, go over there. Sister, go over there. Come here, do this, drop that. Could he wake you up at three in the morning and say, pray for that person? <laughs> Are we available? And then the other thing about this bush, it had to be an open bush. Now what I mean by that is there's no point in anybody trying to get in the midst of a bush where the, the branches are so tight and closed in, you couldn't get in it. And you know, there's a lot of bushes which are churches that are like that. You couldn't get in there if you tried. They are so rigid. I make the joke over here, the seven famous words of the dying church. We've never done it this way before. We are so tight and rigid. Some churches, I can tell you what's going to happen from the moment I walk in to the moment I go out. They're going to sing the same songs or a few different ones. They're going to make a few announcements. They'll call a few people to the front and pray for them. They'll preach a sermon. They'll make an appeal and they'll go home. And you know, it's the same old thing. And it's so rigid. It's so tight. I want to tell you that the church of the Holy Ghost is not rigid and is not tight. 
1 Corinthians 14 is a beautiful truth about how a church should run in the Holy Ghost. One comes with a psalm, one with a doctrine, one with a tongue, one with a revelation. And who knows when it's going to come? Hallelujah. Now if the Holy Ghost came into a lot of churches at the beginning of the meeting and, and, and moved on someone to stand up and say, I believe God is saying repent, he'd be told to sit down. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Sit down. Now if God's going to talk to anybody, it'll be the pastor, thank you very much. <laughs> and he better be sure he's right, because if we've got to dirty our knees on the floor, we want to know about it. We'll wear some jeans or something. And you see, we're so rigid. I mean, wouldn't it be marvellous if God the Holy Ghost had come in and just as you started to sing and stopped you and said, call the people to the floor. But I tell you, if he ever did that, you know something's on. But we're so rigid. Hold on, Lord, I've got to have my singing. Now, I tell you, I am more into worship probably than anybody else in this church right now. I'm into singing unto the Lord and moving in the Spirit in that realm. But I want to tell you that we must not get bound with worship. We must not get bound with the Word. Some people worship the Word. You know, we're so pathetic. <laughs> you get these preachers and we, we sit there. We don't listen to what God's saying. We listen to the, how good the preacher is. It was either an excellent word or a good word or pathetic word or he had a different accent. And we talk about a worship. We come out after and say, good worship, wasn't it? Well, I don't care if it was good worship or not. Did you meet him? Did the word bring you face to face with my Lord Jesus Christ? If it didn't, why, why talk about it? Can you see what I'm saying? And we need to get, get rid of our rigidity. You know, sometimes you can be as, as formal in your live services as you were before. Now, our church at home is as lively, if not more lively, than any church we've been in here. I mean, they magnify the Lord and dance and worship and sing in tongues and sometimes sing for a long time, magnify, and the presence of God. But I tell you, that has become repetitious. You can be as much bound up in that as you were before. Now let me tell you, we want the Holy Ghost coming. And I don't mind how He does it as long as He does it. You'll worship all right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you might have to do some repenting first. You'll listen to the word, but you'll listen with ears inside here. It's got to be an openness. And you've got to say, God, this is a Holy Ghost church triumphant. A Holy Ghost led and inspired. And I want to tell you, when you come to the meetings, expect God. Anyhow, whatever way, but expect Him. Now, I think worship's a great thing. I think when you really worship, you'll bring God. But expect when you bring Him, <laughs> what's going to happen? He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. I inhabit the praises of my people. There can be that worship. It says that the Father looks for those who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, that's a, a major factor. That truth is according to the Word of God. But spirit is led by the Spirit. And there is a worship that is caught up by God that is completely different to manufactured worship. It is so Holy Spirit orientated. It, it has a breath of God upon it. Now we do the right thing. We come in and we say, God, we're going to praise you. And we manufacture praise. But that is only walking into the outer court. That's only coming in the outside. 
But after we manufacture praise, I believe we come to a place where we start to sing with our spirit. We start to sing in worship unto the Lord. But then there comes a place, and that comes into the place where the priest got in the tabernacle. But then there comes a place called the Holy of the Holies, where we are ushered into His presence, where the Spirit of God takes over. And it becomes holy ghost worship. And I tell you something, do you know what it is sometimes? You daren't make a sound. Because you're there. What a worship that is. Can you see what I'm saying to you? Let it be an open church. I was thrilled when you said oh, we want to be a worshipping church because you're on the way. But a worshipping church is a burning church. Not only has this church, this bush, got to be an open bush, but as I said before, it's got to be a clean bush. Because I tell you something, he's not going to get in the midst of a dirty bush. Can you imagine the Lord standing in the midst of a bush with pigeon droppings, dove droppings all over it? Can't you see it, can you? It's like Trafalgar Square. You heard of Trafalgar Square. Thousands of pigeons go over it, bombard it. Well, you know, sometimes our churches are just like that. But the main thing he wants is a living bush. There was no point in the Lord standing in the midst of a dead bush. I mean, if the bush was dead, it was dead. That wouldn't have attracted Moses to see a dead bush burning. <laughs> You'd like to see some dead churches burn, wouldn't you? Yeah. But it was a living bush. It was a bush that was alive and full of life. And the best way to bring the burning of God is to get full of life. To get full of Holy Ghost life. Where God can come in and feel happy about being here. Not having to say, wake, awake, O Zion. But moving where the life is. Let me tell you, God is wanting to set a bushfire alight. He talked about evangelism. I don't know any evangelism like this. A Holy Ghost filled person. How many of you heard of Charles Finney? He's American, you should have done. Charles Finney was a walking revival. What do I mean by that? Somebody once said to him, Charles, how is it that whenever you go into churches, into areas, things just break out and God moves? And he, he said... He drew a circle like that and he stood in it. He said, that's why. That's why? What that means is he was so filled with God that he was the revival. The actual fact is, the day he got born again and filled with God, he walked up to somebody, he said, hello, how are you? As he walked on down the street, the person fell on their knees in repentance. It went on all like that. He went to, into a factory one day and he'd been holding a revival meeting in the town and all of the people got together and started to mock him. <laughs> He's that stupid preacher. And all he did was look at one of the people, just like I'm looking at this brother here. And as he looked at her, the power of God came upon that person. She dropped on her knees in repentance. As she dropped on her knees in repentance, it went from her down the line, down the line, and within half an hour, the whole factory had to be stopped as everybody got before God. Smith Wigglesworth was on a train, and he was sitting on a train in England, and they used to have carriages like this. He's sitting opposite someone, and suddenly the man falls on his knees before him. He said, Sir, you convince me of sin. <laughs> Before they'd gone to the next stop, the whole carriage had got right with God. Do you want to know the best way to witness? Get filled with God. 
you will not help but be able to witness because people will be finding out what it is. Everywhere you touch, everywhere you go, and the Spirit of God will tell you what to say and the things that you should do, and you will find people born again by the power of God. My friends, God is wanting to burn this bush. He's wanting to set this far side of the desert alight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, I pray for this fellowship. I pray for my brother here and for his wife. I pray for every member that you would start to burn. Father, right now that you'd start the work. It might start as a flickering flame, but start it in their hearts, Lord. Burn, Lord, in Jesus' name. Burn, Holy Spirit. Just sing this to you. I don't know that you'll know it. Move, Holy Spirit, move upon my life. Move, Holy Spirit, to make me like Christ. Move, move, move in my life. Move, move to make me like Christ. Move, Holy Spirit, move. In my life, move, Holy Spirit, to make me like Christ. Move, move, move in my life. Move. Move, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Move, Holy Spirit, to make me like Christ.